Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. I believe that whole album just had a light around it. The melodies, a lot of the rap style that you hear now we were doing those jump style raps way back then. And so, man, uh, yeah, we were on some futuristic stuff for sure. So I decided to go. Back in 1997, Missy Elliott and producer Tim Timbaland Mosley put out a record that was ahead of its time, and it still is. It was innovative and avant garde, but it was also a smash hit. Nobody could categorize it. Was it hip-hop? Was it pop? Was it from outer space? The only thing you could really call it was, well... These two kids from Virginia crashed out Supa Dupa Fly in just two weeks, but it influenced the way music sounded all over the world. Missy's voice and delivery were one of a kind, whether she was singing, rapping, or just yelling, beep, beep. beep. Who got the keys to the Jeep? She didn't obey any of the usual rules for female pop stars at the time, and neither did her music. Timbaland gave the album a spacey sound. He had an unreal sense of rhythm, and Super Dupa Fly instantly put him on the map as one of the most influential and innovative producers alive. We came in and just disrupt the world, like, no, we should do music this way. It was different, but Missy always been different. She always pushed the boundaries and she put the battery pack in my back to be like, let's go crazy. Do it all what we think is dope. So Super Duper Fly, it allowed me to be Timberland in the most beautiful way. I'm Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone, and your host for Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, the podcast where we dig into 10 albums off our brand new list. In this episode, Missy Elliott's Supa Dupa Fly. In the 90s, much of the conversation about hip-hop was dominated by the feud between the East and West Coasts. The South is putting out tons of incredible rap records, too but nobody was paying any attention to Portsmouth, Virginia. Missy and Timbaland were about to change that with Supa Dupa Fly. This was an album everybody could agree on, but it was also an album nobody saw coming. Rolling Stone pop expert Rob Sheffield was living in Virginia in those days. He even attended Missy's first ever concert. Here he is with the full story. Missy Elliott was a high school student when she met a teenage DJ named Tim Mosley. 
Both were shy and serious kids focused on music, with crime and poverty all around them. As soon as they met, Missy and Tim could tell right away they were kindred spirits. Tim's rapping partner introduced me. He said, you know, I want you to meet my friend Tim. So we went to his house and he had like a little Casio keyboard. And the Casio used to have like little sounds, animal sounds and stuff. And I just remember thinking like, wow, he's making this sound hot. She came to my house in Virginia Beach and she started singing over my beats. That just opened me up to something different. Missy introduced me to harmonies, how to hear harmonies. And once I started training my ear to these things, it made me just say, wait a minute. It just broadened my horizon when it comes to producing. And I'm like, maybe I should be doing this. So Missy and Tim started writing music together. Each one had something unique that inspired the other. We were brothers and sisters. So that's what you heard. You heard pushing from both sides. Like, But she pushed me the most. She would let me just be mediocre. I had to be great at all times. It was like John Lennon meeting Paul McCartney as kids in Liverpool. Missy and Tim just instantly clicked creatively. Missy knew melody, harmony, songwriting. Tim knew beats. And even on a low budget, they sounded like nobody else. Timberland. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We used to record on a cassette tape and then put another cassette in and bounce the vocals. It was some weird way we used to do it. So now it's, it sound muffled, but we would ride around in the car and be grooving like. We always ride in the car, make a cassette of our music, listen to it, critique it. You know what I'm saying? So like, we we really loved it. We thought it sounded amazing, but it, it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but it was enough to get people attention. That's how you you know when God is in effect and the stars align. It's love. When you genuinely love somebody and it's like, you know, of course you, they share different parents, but just being brothers and sisters and really like having talks at this age of where we at in our life. We love each other, and we love what we were doing. Missy and Tim got their first professional break when they met Devante Swing of Jodeci, who enlisted them as songwriters under the names Missy Misdemeanor Elliott and Timbaland. Their first high-profile collaborations came in 1996, when they wrote and produced for Aaliyah's second album, One in a Million. Tim also produced a huge summer smash for Genuine, the classic Pony. These records were hits with a totally original sound, but nobody knew the names Missy Elliott or Timbaland yet. They were behind the scenes. And the way they saw it, they would stay behind the scenes. At that time, I didn't want to be an artist. I, I just wanted to write and produce. So it's funny that a Missy album came from doing those records, because that was so not my intention. I think every label that was out there was trying to get me to sign, and and I was just like, nah, I want to actually have my own label. I'd rather write and produce for artists. Missy only agreed to make her own album when Elektra Records made her an offer she couldn't refuse. If she recorded an album under her own name, she could get her own label within Elektra. So... In my mind, it was like, Tim, let's just hurry up and do this album so I can get to working with the artists. Tim and I used to do five to six records a day. 
and it was nothing. Completed record songs. So we completed it in two weeks. That's right. They crashed out Super Duper Fly in just two weeks. Missy still wasn't sure she really wanted to be a performer, but one single was all it took to convince the world she was a star. The Rain, Super Duper Fly, hit the radio in May 1997, right before the album dropped, on her own new label, The Gold Mind. The Rain took over the radio, while Missy took over MTV with the psychedelic video directed by Hype Williams, a fisheye lens vision with Missy wearing a garbage bag. But no matter how you discovered the song, The Rain was one of those instant classics that just stops everyone in their tracks. Everybody remembers exactly where they were the first time they heard The Rain. I still didn't know the magnitude of what we were doing. It wasn't, oh, we're going to go and we're going to make a number one record or we're going to be here on the charts. We never even thought about that. We just loved music. And after doing the video, The Rain, and seeing people's reactions was more of the time that I was like, well, maybe it's something. Missy and Timbaland took an old Memphis soul record from the 70s by the great Ann Peebles, a song called I Can't Stand the Rain. They turned it into their own musical manifesto, a new kind of southern soul music from Mars. The Rain became one of the defining hits of the 90s. But where does a song like that come from? Oh, man, listen, that, that was my smoke days. <laughs> and we want to be quite honest, no telling where that record you know, a lot of those records back then uh, most definitely was uh, a fun time. If you notice the first line when I say, when the rain hits my window, I take it, <laughs> I need some endo. So it kind of lets you know the space that I was in at that, at, at that time. I don't do that anymore. But, you know, Tim, he always been a genius at putting sounds and stuff together. And soon as I heard that record, I was just like, Man, this record is fire. Timbaland gave the song a new kind of futuristic echo. He keeps the beat so minimal, but every detail is part of the psychedelic atmosphere. You can hear the crickets chirping in a Virginia swamp on a muggy summer night. So Timbaland gets all the crickets chirping on the beat. He took the tom-tom drums from the original track and looped them into the Twilight Zone. It was a blueprint for what instantly became known as the Timbaland sound. That's just me loving weird sounds. And that Ann Peebles records, I know I heard like these little toms like and how they walked up the scale. I thought it was unique. And I can't stand there against my window. It's fun. And I knew Missy would like that groove, but it was those upscale toms that caught me. And I was like, oh man, I got to do something around this. And I heard the beat in my head. And I was like, ooh. This is going to be dope. And, you know, and I'm, I've always been the one to go for the stuff that's different, but still simple. And I knew that at that time was the one. One of the classic moments in the song that got everybody's attention. Missy says it's time to go to the beach. And then the beat stops cold while she says, Beep, beep. Who got the keys to the Jeep? Vroom. 
Yeah, I still get people to this day. Actually, somebody said on Twitter, did Missy ever find the, the keys to her Jeep? And I was like, of course I did. That's why you heard me say room. Them ride to the beach, top down. Like, yeah, I found the keys. So, like I said, that was my fun days. I probably had them on me the whole time. I probably was holding them in my hands while I was asking. <laughs> Here we are, you know, 20-some years later doing the detective work, but I found them, yes. But The Rain wasn't the album's only hit. Missy and Tim scored another smash with Sock It To Me, where Missy teamed up with DeBrat, a rapper who had her own hit a few years earlier with Funk Defied. But Missy had even bigger ideas for DeBrat. Yes, Sock It To Me. Yeah, that that was one of those ones where very theatrical. Music was a certain way back then, so we most definitely came in with our combat boots on. <laughs> we most definitely came in like very strong. songs like these, Missy was challenging the idea of how women could express themselves in pop music. At a time when people were always trying to pit female artists against each other, Missy was always building alliances with other women performers. For the Sakatumi video, Missy DeBrat and Lil' Kim dressed up like superheroes. And I really thought they was going to be like, nah, nah, I'll do the record, but I'm not dressing up and all of that. That's your style. But they totally did it. And it was just amazing to see them come out of a zone that they are used to being in that works for them. And they, they just said, hey, we got you. I can take it like a, pro, you know. a lot of women today is taking over and in, in the forefront. And I guess it is true when things come back around because that's the era that we come from of just strength and, and women. When Super Duper Fly came out in the summer of 1997, it was massive. The highest debut ever for a female rapper at the time. And Missy and Timbaland put Virginia on the music map, opening the door for other Virginia artists like the Clips, Magoo, and the Neptunes. Oh man, I won't necessarily take all the credit for that. Back then, there was a, a few of us from Virginia who made people pay attention. Shoot, it was Tim, myself, Magoo, Pharrell, Neptunes. It's so funny because we all were cool and we all had our, our own separate sound. And so collectively, I think we had people wondering, like, what's in the water? At that time, you expect to come from New York, you know, all the big cities, but coming from a small place, that was a blessing. But I knew we loved music that much. And our love for what we were doing was too strong. I knew it was going to burst outside of Virginia. For Missy and Tim, it was just the beginning of an amazing run of hits that changed the sound of hip-hop, R&B, pop, and dance music. Over the next few years, they made classics like Hot Boys, Get Your Freak On, and Work It. Missy staked her claim as one of the greatest rappers of all time, and Timbaland went on to score huge hits with artists from Justin Timberlake to Jay-Z to Duran Duran. But it all goes back to the unique chemistry Missy and Tim discovered back when they were teenagers. A lot of the tracks that we did were, I always say hypnotic. 
when I think of Get Your Freak On, just the dun, 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 dun. it's just hypnotic. It's like, yeah, those records were very special and 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 people always say we want to hear a, a record like and they'll name something from back then but what you have to understand is it, it was a time and a space that we were in and those moments I don't feel like can be recreated like I said they, they were my fun times and I don't have fun times anymore I'm, but I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world what you hear from us and what you feel from them records is a lot of love, a lot of, um, man, just a lot of perseverance, a lot of brother and sister shit. And that's why the music sounds like that, because we push each other. I know what work it. I made her go back four times because I'm like, that ain't it. I knew what the beat was, but I didn't hear that Missy Elliott yet. And when she was doing it, I was like... Mm, it's cool. Then she came back with the third one and she's like, if this ain't it, I, I just can't, I don't know. And said, so, is it worth it? I was like, okay. Put my thing down, flip it in reverse. And when it got to that reverse part, I was like, oh, we out here. We done. We done. You know what I'm saying? Like when you bake a great cake, you need the right icing on top to make it a perfect marriage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that was the perfect marriage. Tim has always been a genius that he didn't even know. Some people like to deal with people who go to school for this, very technical about what they do, but sometimes it's greater to be raw because you're going off of this feels right instead of technically what is right. I told him about a, a sounding pony that technically it's wrong. <laughs> but when you hear it, it feels right. And that's what matters. And he's always been a genius at that. At the end of 1997, Missy had her big coronation moment as a solo star when she played her first live show at the Little Fair Festival in West Palm Beach, Florida. I was there that night, definitely a night I will never forget. Everybody in the crowd, we were all so excited to see what Missy was going to do live. Excited maybe, but definitely not prepared. She rocked the house in an awesomely weird vinyl costume full of white feathers. And as it turns out, Missy still has the outfit. Listen, back then, and it's so crazy because my mother, she just cleaned out my house that I grew up in. And she sent me all of this stuff. And when I opened the box, it was mad feathers coming out of the box. I have feathers on my shoes. It's just, it, so it's funny that you even brought that up. But yes, I was most definitely dressing outrageous. <laughs> so how did these two kids push so far on their first album? For Timbaland, the secret is they weren't trying for a hit. They were trying for a classic. When we thought about our parents' records, like those records that we loved, that we grew up to, They've been around for a long time. So we wasn't trying to make just records it's like, oh, goodbye. Nah. We were trying to make those ones. <laughs> Me, I'm super fly. That's a classic album. I think so. And uh, it was fun making it. I never get tired of hearing it to this day. Super fly. 
Missy Elliott's Super Duper Fly ranks 93rd on Rolling Stone's new greatest albums of all time list. After this short break, we'll talk about the album's futuristic ambitions. We'll be right back. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Jeffy Haza. I'm the senior editor here at Rolling Stone. A lot of hip-hop and R&B coverage. I'm Rob Sheffield. I write about music for Rolling Stone magazine and have done so since, since the Super Dupa Fly era. Do you guys remember the first time you ever heard this album? Yeah, I mean, I was a really young at the time. I think I was probably like five or six. So it was like at a time when you're first starting to really absorb the sounds that are happening around you. I mean, I had older siblings who would always come home from the mall with like whatever CDs had come out and they would play it on like the full on stereo system. So everything from that era, like Aaliyah, Usher and like Busta Rhymes, all those like super futuristic sounds, that was basically like my introduction to pop music or popular music, I guess, in a lot of ways. And yeah, Super Duper Fly, I just remember the videos, especially. It was like the first time that I think like a song and a video like stuck in my brain as like one thing. Yeah. I was living in Virginia at the time. Missy and Timbaland were absolute heroes for the region. And you just heard uh, the Missy album everywhere you went. Aaliyah had already done her album and, and Genuine had had his hit. So we had had a bit of that, you know, like Jeff said, futuristic sound. But uh, it was a, just a completely shocking album to hear for the first time, especially when got the whole CD and just going through from front to end. Missy and Timbaland had come up together in Portsmouth, Virginia for over a decade before Super Duper Fly came out. Rob, can you create a bit of a Missy and Tim family tree for us and talk to us a little bit about the the wider network of collaborators that they had built for themselves? She grew up in Portsmouth. He grew up in Virginia Beach. Those were scenes that the rest of the world, not even the rest of the country, was paying any attention to. This was at a point where hip-hop was very divided between East Coast, West Coast, it was just after the murders of Big and Tupac, and they had artists in there. Genie Wine had a, a huge hit with Pony. Nicole Ray, who they made one of their best songs for, Make It Hot. And uh, Playa and Magoo and uh, their friends in the Clips and, and Pharrell, who went to high school with Timbaland. There was this huge realm of untapped talent in Virginia, and Missy and Timbaland really led the way. 
building off of some of those regional feuds that were happening, kind of the big story of of hip hop at the time, Jeff, what were some of the other big trends that we were seeing in in hip hop and popular music leading up to Super Duper Fly? Yeah, I think, you know, what Rob points out with what was going on in Virginia is really interesting because hip hop had just come out of this in the, you know, the national eye as this kind of violent genre. You had gangster rap coming out of L.A. and then you had, you know, the deaths of Biggie and Pac. And then you have, you know, this general sense that hip hop is about turf and about these sort of ego shifts going on. And I think this era was really cool in that you had you know, Missy Elliott, you had Genuine, you had Usher with these gigantic records that really had nothing to do with any sort of beef or turf war, any sort of regional argument. And it was really just about having a lot of fun. And I think this was really the beginning of what hip hop is just the most fun genre in music really started. And I think that's what's really cool about the late 90s. And you can fully see from, you know, this record to now with Megan Thee Stallion and stuff like that, where this idea of rap as the celebratory and just super fun and almost like funky music started to come out. Missy herself is just like so celebratory of the entire history of hip hop. What are the things that she is celebrating in her music and in her videos and everything that she wants to kind of amplify about what she loves about the genre? I think first and foremost, it's like this this masterful wordplay. I think Missy is probably, in my opinion, one of the most lyrically gifted rappers out there when you really think about it just in and how good she was at turning these really like naughty things into metaphors that were almost innocent like you have a song about the rain that's really not about the rain um and i think you know hip-hop at its core is so poetic and so lyrical and so you know i'm gonna make you think about that bar right after i just spit it you know and i think missy was really good at you know, honoring that spirit of hip hop of being like, yeah, this is about lyrical proficiency, but kind of completely taking it into this like freaky dimension. Rob, you interviewed Missy and Tim for this episode, and it's so clear how much they love and admire each other so many decades on into their friendship, into their musical partnership. Can you describe a little bit about who they are to one another and how they've been able to kind of continue having that very strong appreciation and love for so many years. It's really, it's one of the most beautiful stories in all of pop music as far as I'm concerned. And that was something that you could feel uh, right away in in the album, that sort of a creative, uh, incredibly uh, communal friendship that they had right from the beginning. And as Tim said, Missy gave me my confidence. You know, he was just a, a really quiet kid. He just had this little Casio keyboard that his mom gave him and he was just making beats. He, his idol was Mantronics. That's the kind of thing he wanted to do. But he didn't think that anybody was going to rap over his records. He just wanted to make beats. And he said, Missy came over his house. She heard it and she began singing over it. And his, as Tim said, sing over these beats. It had never occurred to him. He had no concept of songwriting, melody, harmony, R&B, the kind of stuff that she was very fluent in. And their skills just totally complemented each other. And they were both kids who were very lonely, very quiet, had very difficult backgrounds and very difficult family lives. And for them to sort of find that kindred spirit in each other, they just really inspired each other to such amazing heights. So much of what has made Missy an icon is the videos as well. And the videos were a big part of what brought Super Duper Fly to the world and what made people really 
appreciate and respect her as an artist. And I'm wondering if, Jeff, you can give us a primer on the director, Hype Williams, and what made his videos with for Missy Singles particularly special at that time. Hype Williams is one of the more legendary music video directors out there, especially when you think about the genre of hip hop. I think he, more than anyone else, is probably responsible for you know, giving a visual identity to the genre and in turn, you know, giving a visual identity to, you know, black celebrity in the late 90s into the early 2000s. I think we had MTV and like TV music, music or rather music on TV as a big part of that era. And you have, you know, the rise of cable television, things like that. And at the same time, you have someone like Hype Williams, who's now bringing these celebrities who existed in magazines and existed in all these other forms, you know, giving them real visual language. You could talk on and on about how that influenced his style and the way people dressed in that time and everything. You know, the video for for Rain is so weird. It's it's so it's so unlike anything that people were doing at the time. And I think what what became so important about that was that it, you know, it, it added another layer to to Missy's like poetry and to the way that she was so good with wordplay. So now you have her talking about the rain, her distorting her body in this way and and you know, giving the sensuality of her lyrics, like this completely different dynamic where it's like desexualizing it, but also hypersexualizing it at the same time. She, she's really playing with things visually that are, you know, still to this day, I, I think, ahead of their time. This has come up a lot over the course of this conversation, also in the interviews, is that the word futuristic is attached to Missy a lot. And for good reason. Jeff, what made Missy and this album so ahead of its time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so funny that, you know, even just revisiting this record for the for these purposes, it's like all of these songs could have come out yesterday and, and people would still have, I think, a lot of the same response to them. And I think that has a lot to do with Timbaland's production and just how really experimental they were sonically with everything they were doing, you know, the drum patterns that they're playing with at that time and really trying to subvert what was typical of hip hop at the time, especially when you had, you know, the regional things going on where you had what an East Coast beat sounded like, you had what a West Coast beat sounded like, you had what a Southern beat sounded like. And this this kind of weird thing that they were trying to do there that kind of didn't adhere to any kind of rules, I think is still something that some of the most interesting producers in hip hop strive for today. But then you have, you know, Missy Elliott as, as the person, as the artist, I think what she means for the ways in which we see, you know, women in hip hop, but also women in music and women as celebrities, the ways that in which she owns that sexuality and owns her, the images of her body and the way that she presents that in music videos and plays with that and is still you know, has all of the sexual agency of just like, I'm, you know, everything is freaky, everything is nasty, and like, unapologetically. So I think, you know, that's really the the framework of what we see in celebrity today. Do we feel like there was a specific kind of future that Missy and Tim were building for, for music and for themselves through an album like Super Dupa Fly? Yeah, I think what they were creating was something that was first and foremost, fun. I think, you know, what Rob spoke to of just how beautiful their musical partnership was and how how much of kindred spirits they almost were, where it's like these two people are finding ways to express joy and pleasure and are doing so in such an interesting and dynamic way together. And I think that's such a hard thing creatively to achieve. And I think they were very early in building a framework for doing that. Rob, you caught Missy's first ever live performance at Lilith Fair in 1997. Who else played and how was Missy set? 
it was a very awesome little fair set. As you can imagine, Sarah McLaughlin headlined, and uh, there was uh, the Indigo Girls and Cheryl Crow and Luscious Jackson. It was really kind of fantastic because everybody there was super excited. Everybody knew that Missy hadn't performed before, and she was the newest artist on the bill. And she came out, the prodigy breathe. If you remember that song, a nineties uh, Brit techno hit, that was her theme music as she made her big entrance with her dancers and her band. It was a half hour show, but it was absolutely exhausting and, and very celebratory at a moment that had a lot of negative stuff going on in pop music. There was a sense of communal celebration going on with the, the live performance and everything. What are your favorite songs from Super Duper Fly? One of my very favorites is uh, Izzy Izzy Ah, which was never a hit. It's an album with no skips, as as people were not saying yet in, in the 90s, but it is an album where there's no filler at all. Izzy Izzy Ah, it sounds like a throwaway. It's basically just like Timbaland doing this very dubbed out beat and Missy doing a lot of beep beep noises. The word Missy used for it was hypnotic, and that really like sums up that track. And again, like celebratory in the, in the way that that Jeff said. It's a very celebratory and hypnotic track. I really like Pasta Blunt. I think uh, the beat there is, is to me, almost perfect. Um, and, you know, you have Missy doing this kind of reggae-inspired thing, which, and Rob kind of points to this, that she had this, like, weird British techno music as her coming out theme music on stage. And I think something that's so interesting about her is when she played with completely different genres and a song like Pasta Blunt is, is really interesting to me because it's like you can tell she's having so much fun with it. As mentioned earlier, there when you're doing a Missy album, a Tim album, like there's like everyone is on there. It's all the same crew that shows up. So there's a ton of features loaded on to here. And it's incredibly hard to pick a favorite. But I, I'm curious if you guys have a favorite feature on this album. I actually love uh, Busta Rhymes intro and outros. I think, um, you know, I mentioned the first time hearing this, I was super young and, you know, my kid brain definitely thought Busta Rhymes and Missy Elliott were brother and sister just because of the ways that they rhymed and the weird ways they would talk. I was like, oh, these people are related. Um, and I thought just the fact that he opens the album and closes it on the same beat in that way, I thought was like one of the coolest things in the world. For me, it's got to be the Aaliyah duet, best friend, super touching, really super sweet. And Aaliyah, somebody who, you know, had already had a story and was already pretty much given up on by the music industry before she made that astounding second album as comeback album, One in a Million. And she and Missy, they had a very tight bond and it was like nothing else really in pop music. Their duet, it really tugs my heartstrings. One of my favorite moments from the album is Missy's finale and that spoken word part where she's thanking everyone. She's showing like how appreciative she is to have put out this music, to have shared it with her friends, to share her love of music with the world now. And that's something that I feel like is so important to Missy's legacy and to why she's so beloved, not only by her peers, but by her heroes, by artist every new artist always cites missy like she is someone who is kind of continuously part of the conversation and i want to know what kind of made her sense of community and music so radical and endearing i think a lot of it is to me parallels with the way that she treats the music itself where you know especially in, in the way that she creates these like very sexual metaphors it's always like trying to place you in the experience i think there's something really empathetic about the way missy elliott approached 
everything that she did, you know, non-competitive, but also still very competitive. All of that was, it was never about, you know, we have the kind of ostentatious energy of flexing and, and showing off in hip hop. And that's always kind of been a part of it. But the way that Missy did it was all about everyone getting to shine. And I think that's something that you could really feel in the music and can definitely feel through the music videos to where you felt like you were a part of whatever the celebration was happening. Yeah, I think that really sums it up beautifully. It was it was this sort of positive energy. One thing that's lost in, in leaving the CD era is that Missy wrote the best CD liner notes of the entire CD era. Her CD booklets were just pages of Missy shout outs that were absolute poetry. Until Missy, Whitney Houston was the absolute queen of album thank yous, but Missy just devoted the entire CD booklet to it. And it was really beautiful. There's a really beautiful moment in that CD booklet for Super Dupa Fly where she gives a shout out to Big and she says, I, I'm sorry you didn't get to hear my album. I hope you get to hear it wherever you are. To me, that really kind of sums up the moment at a time when grief was very much part of pop music. Missy was providing something positive that really everybody could agree on. At the end of 1997, MTV did this best of 1997 special where they talked to the pop stars of the year. They had a panel with Marilyn Manson and Fiona Apple and Puffy, you know, the big stars of 1997. And it was funny that the one record that everybody could agree on was Missy. You know, not even Fiona Apple or Marilyn Manson had anything negative to say about this record. It was the one album of 1997 that everybody could agree on. I have to immediately find that panel and watch it after this. <laughs> it's it's great. It, it's funny because Hanson is surprisingly divisive. <laughs> Marilyn Manson says they are demonic. They're the work of the devil. And Fiona says they're cheesy. But when it comes to Missy, even Fiona Apple is like, I wish I was as cool as Missy. <laughs> we all did. I mean, Missy was so groundbreaking in everything that she did. She was a feminist icon who made strides in body and sex positivity. She remains one of the most adaptable, genre-bending artists of all time. And the list of gifts that she's given us have been so endless. Do you all feel like there's parts of her now, tw over two decades on from this album being released, that are still underrated, that are still not as celebrated about her as they should be? I think... Something that uh, is really exciting about Missy Elliott is, you know, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, she kind of had this comeback moment where she put out a new single and there's a new record that came out. And, you know, with with artists who have a long legacy, I think you can either go one of two ways where you do everything you can to preserve that legacy and make sure everyone continues to know how important you are to music, or you can kind of do your own thing and just remain the person that you've always been. And I, and I really appreciate that Missy never kind of went the route of forcing down anyone's throat the fact that she is one of the most iconic musicians of all time. And whether or not she's underrated is kind of like, I don't think people realize how much they love Missy Elliott, but I don't think anyone out there doesn't love Missy Elliott. Yeah, her mystique, it evokes, it's very similar in many ways to Dolly Parton, that they're both artists that almost instinctively provoke a smile in people. Everybody loves them. Everybody smiles when they hear their name, but they also, they're capable of so much more emotional range than people realize. Everybody smiles and they think of Dolly Parton smiling, but she wrote some of the saddest songs ever. And so did Missy. The Rain is a really sad song. Driving in the rain, trying to maintain. There's a part where she's stuck in the rain. She does the windshield wipers with her mouth. It's a song with a lot of pain and loneliness in it. She had a tremendous emotional range as a songwriter, and I, I think that's what's underrated most. 
the impact of Super Duper Fly of Missy is still being seen in music. There are artists who would not who owe their entire careers to her and have said that very explicitly. What is the impact and who are the artists, the songs, the albums that wouldn't exist without what Missy and Timbaland did on this album? The first thing I think about is someone like Megan Thee Stallion, who, when you look at her lyrics, it's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's filthy, but it's fun. And I think without Super Duper Fly, I don't think we as a music community or, you know, the culture would have gotten to a place where you can make these really dirty puns and make it beautiful and make it sound like the most fun thing ever and have insane choreography attached to it and have this really just like pleasant view of sexuality and music that doesn't have to feel taboo and i think a lot of that definitely starts with super duper fly yeah i think that spirit that they created of constant innovation where missy and tim were they were every month they were making a new record that was completely different from what they did before about a year after super duper fly came out was was one of their most famous tracks are you that somebody with Aaliyah, which is just you hear it now after over 20 years and it's still just the weirdest damn thing. You still can't believe this song was played on the radio. It's so strange. And the way it's so confident, nothing about that song is trying to ingratiate or to go down easy. It's like, nope, this is weird. And then there's a baby crying and it's really creepy. And it stops, then it starts again. The way that Missy and Timbaland were able to generate that sense of creativity and innovation, I think has been definitely like the most influential aspect of uh, Missy's legacy. Missy Misdemeanor Elliott's Super Duper Fly ranks 93rd on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, which can be found on our website, rollingstone.com, and in the magazine's October issue. I'm Brittany Spanos. This is Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. Executive producers are Christian Horde, Nathan Brackett, and Gus Winner. This episode was produced by Rob Sheffield, Emerson Eller, and me, mixed by Michelle Lands. Our senior producer is Jasmine Morris. Megan McBride is our production manager. Bridget Shelsey is our production assistant. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Supervising executives for Amazon Music are Raymond Roker and Morgan Jones. And for Rolling Stone, Jason Fine. You can find this podcast exclusively on Amazon Music. On the web, the mobile app, or on any Echo device. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law & Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.